This is Apotheosis, the second podcast from the crew at Code Punk, where we talk about cyberspace, cyberculture, and cyberpunk. You can go to codepunk.io to read our articles and also check out our other podcast, the self-titled Code Punk Podcast, hosted by myself and co-host Bill Ahern. You can also find that podcast in your favorite podcast application, as well as on YouTube, since all recent episodes are recorded in virtual reality. We started the series talking about Douglas Rushkoff's Siberia. And mentioning the cyberculture magazine Mondo 2000, it was always the intention to get back to the subject of that first analysis, but it's impossible to really understand the early years and influence of Mondo 2000 and eventually Wired magazine without first discussing Boing Boing. Boing Boing was a zine before it became a website, and although zines were not exclusive to the counterculture and cyberculture eras, the proliferation of zines reached its apex in the late 80s, early 90s. The internet made zines easier to distribute by gathering a larger audience through BBS systems, mailing lists, etc., but eventually the evolution of the internet's publishing capabilities made it easier to publish a website than it was to print a zine which pushed a lot of zines out of circulation. When I say that zines reached their apex in the 80s and 90s, this, of course, is only as it relates to modern zine production, photocopies from the mouth of Xerox. Zines as a cultural institution have been circulating since the days of the printing press and were a big cause of the original information revolution, as the printing press allowed for the circulation of media outside of the purview of traditional authorities such as the church. Dissident pamphlets provided some of the first instances of what we would consider zines, although from a more serious perspective. In fact, many people consider Thomas Paine's common sense to be one of these traditional zines in its own right. Zines began to proliferate in niche areas thanks to the early science fiction movement post-Great Depression and leading into the mystic 60s. Even Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster were in on zine culture, uh, which is where an earlier version of Superman was first published. Although the science fiction era was rife with fanzines, it wasn't until Star Trek that a zine really began focusing on a media property. Fanzines were a popular form of communication and collaboration in the pre-internet days, and various media properties were covered from literature to comics to music. The 1970s saw not just a shift in the music scene from rock and roll to punk rock, but advances in printing technology and a reduction in cost resulted in greater growth of the indie zine industry. The continued growth and evolution of zines in the 70s and 80s tapered directly into the birth of Boing Boing. Now, much like the retro computing movement today and our recent exploration of modern interpretations of legacy protocols such as Finger and Gopher, zines are also experiencing a resurgence in publishing and interest. Now, from Boing Boing, life as a zine began in 1988 from the minds of Mark Frauenfelder and Carla Sinclair. Frauenfelder and Sinclair conceptualized of the zine a few years earlier. It published 15 issues in total, but eventually became a web-only publication. The website was launched in 1995. Now, all 15 issues of Boing Boing are actually available on the Internet Archive, so if you go and read the Code Punk version of this podcast, there's a link right there. One thing that is strikingly different from the zine versus the blog is the obscurity of the content in the original zine. Many people associate early Boing Boing with cyberpunk culture, but Mondo 2000 was always a bit more cyberpunk, unless you were an early reader of the Boing Boing zine. 
The very first issue saw an interview with Robert Anton Wilson to kick off its counterculture credentials. If Raw isn't enough for you, the second issue actually leads in with a piece by Antero Ali. It also contained book reviews of Rudy Rucker's Wetware and Colin Wilson's biography of occultist Aleister Crowley. Sprinkled through the first issue was a number of comic strips covering various counterculture topics, including LSD, while the written content even had some parallels with the hacking and information tutorials that you would find in 2600. As Boing Boing continue to evolve the sharp knife of its zine, you could find references to discordianism, left libertarianism, mysticism, hacking culture, and just about any mixture of intersectional ideas and alternative thinking that would have Timothy Leary thinking that he'd found the others. Future issues included Are You Serious from the aforementioned Mondo 2000, William Gibson of Neuromancer fame, Kevin Kelly from Wired, Dark Wave Music Tank Girl, David Cronenberg, and other gems of the fringe culture staring out at you from the pages of an obscure zine, you received the mail. As the zine grew in popularity, it started to add features and ideas that would become staples of the weblog, in particular Frauenfelder's obsession with reviewing, selling, and distributing what he believed to be quote-unquote cool things. The final issue of Boing Boing more closely resembled the future Happy Mutants book and had a very kind of vinyl CD case feel to it, while including words by Bruce Sterling. Frauenfelter was educated as a mechanical engineer. He was actually a contributor at Wired prior to the Boing Boing web launch and established enough clout with Boing Boing to catapult himself to additional editorial positions at Wired Magazine, Make Magazine, and even Playboy. Sinclair, Fraunfelder's wife, also established herself as a writer and editor, notably Craft Magazine, through the success of Boing Boing. In fact, Fraunfelder's success with Boing Boing also led to a cover art collaboration with Billy Idol for Billy Idol's cyberpunk album. This so-called directory of wonderful things was partly inspired by Fraunfelder's exploration of the original blogger software for an industry standard article that was never published. It caused him to relaunch the Boing Boing web effort around 2000. Whereas the original zine involved media and technology personalities such as David Peskovitz, Gareth Browen, John Lebowski, and Paco Nathan, through their quasi-relationship with Wired and various editor hopping, the Boing Boing website saw contributions by a number of notable personalities and spawned the careers of many more. Boing Boing Online excelled as a weblog of stream-of-consciousness posts, links, and other documented quote-unquote wonderful things from Fallenfeld. It was one of the original link farms, but because of Fraunfelder's cultural interests, the topics fit a significant growing niche. As a result, the blog found an audience of like-minded individuals looking to explore the early internet space with the same enthusiasm. Early Boing Boing, in fact, resembled very little of the cyberpunk zine that was being published, although it held to some of the same themes. Now, of course, Boing Boing actually existed before the blogging style that made it popular, uh, but it was a brief experimental online version of the zine. From this initial short-form microblogging, Boing Boing grew in frequency and scope as it carved a niche out of the early internet with a proliferation of blog posts, as well as an active message board community. In fact, Frauenfelder leaves a lot of the popularity to Cory Doctorow, whose early writing on the site produced a large amount of content. As the weblog developed into a sustainable business, it was eventually incorporated as an LLC, Happy Mutants, the name of which became the title of the future book edited by Frauenfelder. During its most popular era, somewhere around the mid-aughts, it was one of the most popular read and cited blogs on the internet. 
Topics at Boing Boing were filled by early ideas of internet technology gadgets, science fiction ruminations, and left-leaning mutualism in politics. Boing Boing reached its height during a time when blogs took off as the primary driver of journalism and innovation on the web. In recent years, social media has drastically eaten up web traffic, forcing journalists to turn to paid newsletters as a revenue source. Boing Boing experienced its first revenue decline in 2009 after the housing market crisis, and although the site has managed to maintain a significant ranking on the internet, it has kind of shifted from the darling of cyber culture into mostly, in my opinion, a pale imitation of its former innovative zine and early blog self. Many former readers complain that they can't really tell the difference between a post or a paid advertisement. Oddly enough, they foreshadowed most of this in the last issue of the zine itself. Here's a quote. Well, Boing Boing has come full circle. We've gone from a zine to a wannabe authentic publication to a stressed out, on the verge of selling out, ad accepting magazine, all the way back to a small, unorganized zine. Comparing the state of Boing Boing today with the original conceptualization of the zine, and it seems more like a home for someone to post Amazon affiliate links than a home for cyberpunks. Although it's too early to tell, after surviving controversy surrounding censorship, Boing Boing now must try to survive without Cory Doctorow or Jenny Jardine, both of whom recently left the publication. Metafilter actually tagged Doctorow's departure as the equivalent of the Beatles breaking up. Now that's a bit hyperbolic, but considering how Doctorow's output in the early years was a large driver of the original growth of Boing Boing, you can actually see a correlation. Despite the ups, downs, and sideways history of Boing Boing, it certainly remains a large part of early internet culture, and with the modern infatuation with zines, it's fun to explore the roots of Boing Boing as a niche cyberculture magazine that brought together a lot of early thinkers. The problem seems to be that as Boing Boing grew as a weblog in the modern era, those original thinkers became few and far between, and the blog was left with Dr. Rowe's activism, Frauenfelder's quirky posts, and an awful lot of affiliate links. A shell of its former self, really, and even less so today. 